Welcome to Creation, Myth, or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Greetings to all of you. On this show, we very often talk about science and physical evidence and conclusions people reach based upon the evidence, whether it's logically reached or not, those types of subjects, all part of man deciding what he thinks reality is. We look at the world around us and we reach certain conclusions. Well, science is really restricted in what it does, although our culture is becoming almost scientism-filled, meaning that we think science produces all truth. In reality, those of you who have actually studied philosophy are aware that philosophy is the subject that addresses how do we go about knowing anything? What are the limits of real knowledge in various disciplines, etc.? And one of the subjects that gets discussed in philosophy is bad thinking, fallacies, logical fallacies, frequently made arguments that actually prove nothing, and yet they're often uh, very useful, and they often convince people erroneously that whoever is presenting the fallacy has actually made a reasoned argument and actually provided evidence for their conclusion. I frankly think that one of the big problems we have with our education system is that we way too often teach people to simply regurgitate individual factoids that they've memorized, and if they can regurgitate those correctly onto a test, we assume they know something. And we don't spend enough time teaching people how to think logically, how to reason their way to conclusions, how to recognize bad arguments, etc. And there's actually an internet encyclopedia of philosophy that you can go look up out on the internet. And I want to revisit one specific entry that we mentioned yesterday, but we're going to elaborate a bit more on it and actually look at a specific application of the no true Scotsman fallacy. What this fallacy actually is, is it's an attempt to hang on to an assertion, a universal assertion about things, which is actually unreasoned, meaning there's not only no reason to believe it, it's actually been proven false, and yet you want to hang on to it. The classic simple example is the following. Person A says, no Scotsman puts sugar on his porridge. Person B says, I am Scottish, and I put sugar on my porridge. Person A responds, Well, no true Scotsman puts sugar on his porridge. Interestingly, this particular fallacy, this term of no true Scotsman, was made well known by British philosopher Antony Flew, who, by the way, used to be an atheist. In fact, he was called the world's most notorious atheist and spent decades debating theists those foolish people who believe there might be a deity, he himself became a theist based upon looking closely at the scientific information and the arguments presented by the intelligent design movement. He transitioned from the world's most notorious atheist to a theist based upon the evidence. Meanwhile, well before that, here's what he had to say. Imagine Hamish MacDonald, a Scotsman, sitting down with his Glasgow Morning Herald and seeing an article about how the Brighton sex maniac strikes again. 
Hamish is shocked and declares that no Scotsman would do such a thing. The next day, he sits down to read his Glasgow Morning Herald again, and this time finds an article about an Aberdeen man whose brutal actions make the Brighton sex maniac seem almost gentlemanly. This fact shows that Hamish was wrong in his opinion, but is he going to admit this? Not likely. This time, he says, no true Scotsman would do such a thing. Well, this very fallacy was repeated by Richard Dawkins from Oxford in a Cosmos magazine interview in 2012 when he said, There is no doubt now, no serious scientist has any doubt that evolution is a fact in the sense that we are cousins of chimpanzees, monkeys, and wombats, and cassowaries. In a moment, we'll look at one scientist's response to this. Cosmology is the study in the realm of physics of the origin and formation of the various structures that we see within the universe. Let me introduce you to one practicing scientist who is also a cosmologist, Dr. John G. Hartnett. He's an Australian physicist and cosmologist and a Christian with a biblical creationist worldview. He received a Bachelor's of Science degree with honors and a Ph.D. with distinction in physics from the University of Western Australia. He's an Australian Research Council Discovery Outstanding Researcher Award, the DORA Award, fellow at a leading Australian university where he is currently an associate professor. He has published more than 200 scientific papers, books, and book chapters. And he recently took the time to set up a personal blog at johnhartnet.org. That's J-O-H-N-H-A-R-T-N-E-T-T dot org. And here's what he had to say in a blog titled, One Serious Scientist. You get up in the morning and go to work or school, but everywhere around you screams, there is no ultimate reason to do so. The universe began in some random explosion from the quantum fluctuation of nothing, some big bang, we are told. Over billions of years, stars formed and exploded, building the elements, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, etc., that all plants and animals are made from, we are told. We are just reorganized stardust, they say. It is said that man is just the product of millions, even billions of years of evolution the most recent stage in some unguided evolutionary process. Finally, man evolved from some past ape-like ancestors several million years ago, so we are told. Richard Dawkins has said, There is no doubt now, no serious scientist has any doubt that evolution is a fact in the sense that we are cousins of chimpanzees, monkeys, and wombats and cassowaries. Once mankind believed a god of love created the universe and put the first man and woman in a perfect, beautiful garden where there was no death or anything that would hurt or destroy. In the Garden of Eden, all animals were vegetarians, and Adam and Eve, his wife, just picked the fruit from the trees for food. It was a paradise. But for the past 150 years, we have been told that man evolved. He was not created by God, and that death is a natural part of life. It is survival of the fittest. That means strong over weak is really all that counts. Professor Richard Dawkins says, We live in a universe which has no design, no purpose, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. 
That's from his book, River Out of Eden. But the Bible tells a different story. God himself that formed the earth and made it, he has established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. Isaiah 45.18 God hangs the earth upon nothing. Job 26.7 If God is in control, he has a plan and purpose and a design not only for the planet, but also for your life. It really depends on who sets the rules. If you believe you evolved from some past ape-like ancestor, then you can decide what the rules are yourself, and there are no ultimate meanings. But that would be a lie. God sets the rules, not man. He has a plan and purpose for you. Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the beautiful garden, and God cursed the world as a result. This is when death first entered the world. Because we're all descended from Adam, we inherited our sin nature from him, which always tends to rebel against God, and hence we will all die. But there's more, so read on. Here is one serious scientist who doubts evolution. What we call molecules-to-man evolution. No doubt plants and animals change. We see the changes. But those changes are not turning microbes into microbiologists. There's a big difference. The difference is information. Specific, coded information like we find written in our DNA. It can only arise from the intelligent mind, never by blind random chance. I once believed in the Big Bang and evolution. I was taught this in high school and took those beliefs with me into university. I was an atheist at that time. In university I studied physics and had a particular interest in astronomy and cosmology. I wanted to know how the universe started and where we came from. I asked Christians at my university, but they could not answer those types of questions. They always said, just believe, but that made no sense to me. The universe must be understandable, and I later discovered that it is. But the understanding did not come from science, it came from revelation, revelation in my heart and soul. I am now a professor of physics at a leading university in Australia. I've done a lot of research on physics, astrophysics, and cosmology, but none of that work gave me the answer. Only by seeing the universe, through the lens of God's Word, the Bible, could I make sense of the world and the universe around me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Not the Big Bang, but the Creator God, whose Hebrew name Yahweh means the self-existent one, never created, but always existed. Creation was only about 6,000 years ago. God created the whole universe in six ordinary days and rested the seventh day. I see no contradiction in all I've studied and taught in university to this simple truth. It's because we have no access to the past that one cannot make a measurement on the past. Professional scientists know this. That barrier to knowledge, some argue, is cosmology's Achilles heel. Cosmology may look like a science, but it isn't a science, says James Gunn of Princeton University, co-founder of the Sloan Survey. A basic tenet of science is that you can do repeatable experiments, and you can't do that in cosmology. The goal of physics is to understand the basic dynamics of the universe, Michael Turner says. Cosmology is a little different. 
The goal is to reconstruct the history of the universe. Cosmology is more akin to evolutionary biology or geology, he says, in which researchers must simply accept some facts as given. That's from an article in Science in 2007 titled, A Singular Conundrum, How Odd is Our Universe? Hartnett continues, The professional scientist does not know the answers to the fundamental questions. He must believe by faith himself. Science cannot provide the answers. God created man in his own image. Genesis 1.27 Not evolution over billions of years with plants, animals, and man evolving from pond scum. All people on earth are descended from Adam. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned against God, and so God cursed them and the whole universe. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5.12 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 All deserve death, quote, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 but Jesus Christ fully paid the penalty on the cross, as only a holy God could, for those who repent of their sins. Jesus died for our sins by substitution for those who trust in him. Will you? Or will you rebel and choose what the devil offers? There is none righteous. No one is good enough to attain to heaven on his or her own efforts. Quote, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John chapter 1, 12 and 13. So as you can see, Dr. Hartnett, who is a serious scientist, fully aware and fully trained in the physical evidence around us, in physics and cosmology, highly published and on top of the state-of-the-art scientific knowledge, and yet he absolutely believes the words of Scripture are true, and he knows they do not contradict what we truly know in the realm of science. Don't fall for the deception that no true scientist doubts evolution. That is a true Scotsman fallacy, and it is a false assertion. I hope you were able to listen carefully and hear the blog statement that we just shared from Dr. John Hartnett. It's a very good description of the difference between the false naturalistic worldview, in which there's no meaning for life whatsoever, and the true biblical worldview in which we are the creation of God and have a very special place and purpose in this universe. And furthermore, his son Jesus can be our savior if we simply want that relationship. Now, of course, many well-educated people in our culture believe that biblical account simply can't be true because science has proven otherwise. And to understand this statement, you need to understand that in cosmology, the supposed explanation for the entire universe, its origin and structure, they're really based upon mathematical, physical models that are constructed. 
And then the data is interpreted within the context of the model itself. And Stephen Hawking's book, The Large-Scale Structure of Space-Time, admits, rightfully so, that these cosmological models are not able to be constructed, quote, without some mixture of ideology. So there is a philosophical, ideological, religious, if you will, basis for the selection of the model that's used. And that raises the question of what model is used, and is it necessary to use that specific model? Do the observations require the model that is currently used, in which man has no purpose? Well, listen to the statement by cosmologist George Ellis, quoted in Scientific American, on exactly this question. People need to be aware that there's a range of models that could explain the observations. For instance... I can construct you a spherically symmetrical universe with Earth at its center, and you cannot disprove it based on observations. You can only exclude it on philosophical grounds. That is what I want to bring into the open, is the fact that we are using philosophical criteria in choosing our models. A lot of cosmology tries to hide that. End quote. Now let's take a look at what cosmologist Dr. John Hartnett has written in a blog titled Hubble, does our galaxy occupy a special place in the universe? In 1929, Edwin Hubble published his observations of the redshift and distances of nearby galaxies. Hubble observed in the light from most of these galaxies that the spectral lines were shifted towards the red end of the spectrum as compared to a local laboratory source of the same atomic gas species. From this, he interpreted that it was a Doppler effect, that is, due to the motion of the source, where the galaxies were receding from us, the observer. Thus, the idea of the expanding universe was founded. Now, I would say that thus far, what Hartnett has said, is pretty well known by virtually everybody who has any interest at all in cosmology. The idea of an expanding universe and the Big Bang as the origin of that expansion is very well known. But listen now as Hartnett continues... But one other important idea came from those same observations. He observed roughly the same redshift in light from the galaxies as a function of distance in every direction he looked. This became known as the Hubble Law, which is the basis for the standard cosmology today, the Big Bang model. But the fact that this was in every direction and that the proportionality between the redshift and distance was the same in every direction meant that it looked to him like we, that is our galaxy, was at the center of the universe. This is because the galaxies were moving away in a spherically symmetric way, putting us at the center. This view of the universe would look something like the image in the figure on the right. And the image that Hartnett shows, and I highly recommend you go to his blog at johnhartnett.org, is the common sense expansion, you know, picture a basketball, expanding in all directions away from the center of the sphere of the basketball, expanding at an even rate in all directions all at once, for example, as you pump air into it. Hartnett then continues, In his 1937 book, The Observational Approach to Cosmology, he, that is Hubble, wrote the following, revealing his strong bias. Listen closely to this. Such a condition would imply that we occupy a unique position in the universe. 
but the unwelcome supposition of a favored location must be avoided at all costs. It is intolerable. Moreover, it represents a discrepancy with the theory because the theory postulates homogeneity. That's on pages 50 to 59 of Hubble's book. Hartnett then continues, But Hubble could not believe his own observations because of his bias. This is because he was an atheist and believed the universe was the result of natural forces and not the work of a creator god. To him, the obvious conclusion must be avoided. This highlights the problem of cosmology. It is not the evidence that determines the true structure in history, but it depends on the worldview or religious view of the researcher. It is within that framework Hubble interpreted his observations. Hubble thought intolerable the idea that our galaxy might occupy a special position in the universe. To him it was intolerable because the theory, which is the standard Big Bang model, requires homogeneity and isotropy. This means the mathematics of the Big Bang is only valid if the distribution of the galaxies is the same in every direction and uniform for any observer at the same epoch of time. But note, this is the principal assumption of the Big Bang called the cosmological principle. So essentially he's saying that from his observations it appears we are located at the center of the universe, but that conclusion represents a discrepancy with the theory because he believes the theory despite his observations. The theory says the universe is the same everywhere. It must be right, therefore there must be another interpretation. He believes the theory is correct, so how can he make the observations fit the theory? He has no faith in the biblical creation. That can't be right. There must be another solution. Hartnett then describes how Hubble used a particular type of curvature of space to make every point look like a center and restore homogeneity. Hubble writes, Therefore, in order to restore homogeneity and to escape the horror of a unique position, the departures from uniformity, which are introduced by the recession factors, must be compensated by the second term representing the effects of spatial curvature. The result is today's standard Big Bang model, which has numerous unknowns crammed into the theory in order to make the theory fit with the observational data. As Hartnett says, in any lab experiment, it would be discarded, but because the only alternative is the creation by an intelligent creator, which according to Hubble is intolerable, that cannot be permitted. So you need to understand, the claim that the evidence somehow proves the Bible wrong is completely false. A correct claim would be, first, we disbelieve any possibility that the Bible's correct. Second, we create a theory with numerous unknown fudge factors. See Hartnett's blog, Big Bang Fudge Factors numerous unknown fudge factors in order to make this theory appear to match the observational data, and we keep having to add additional fudge factors as we go along, then we tell you that data contradicts a biblical model. However, this is also not true. Remember the statement by cosmologist George Ellis regarding the common sense model which has the earth at the center of the universe, which he says flat out, you can only exclude it on philosophical grounds. You cannot disprove it based on observations, and that a lot of cosmology tries to hide that. Well, since you're still listening at the end of this blog, you now know better. It's no longer hidden from you. You know that this cosmology model is based upon an atheistic worldview and has added fudge factors to the model to try to hang on to that atheistic worldview, despite the observational evidence that would imply a unique position 
for the earth and man. So now given that you've heard this and you can research it and you will find that what I've told you is true, look it up for yourself. So now that you're aware of it, don't pretend that you have a reason to disbelieve the possibility that the biblical creation model is true. You no longer have a reason. You now have only an excuse. Because what you think is a reason, you now know is fallacious. You need to research this for yourself if you have any interest in the truth at all. Famous physicist Richard Feynman said that we cling to this model of the universe because it would be embarrassing to admit that the evidence really shows we have a special place in this universe. So that belief is not based on evidence. It's not a reason. It is nothing more than excuse, exactly as Scripture says. See creationmythormiracle.com for more info.